Good morning, my friends. This is Brian Betts with Pastor Eric Seepin and Pastor Andy Littleton. Cheers. Good morning. How are you both doing? Doing good. Good awesome. to be here. Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, hey, this is uh, we're at Exo Coffee. We we record this podcast at Exo Coffee, and I have a muffin here that is so delicious. I, I think I just pulled out approximately a four inch, maybe two inch piece of apricot fruit that looked nearly fresh out of my muffin and this is unheard of in my circles so this is a this is a muffin you've got to have if i were you i'd come down here now and ask for this muffin that's that's a really good plug yeah was it i mean it yeah do they pay you for that plug no um no Well, maybe maybe someday. One day. day. I'm actually getting paid for this plug. Uh, They have amazing room temperature water Uh uh, in glass. And uh, for only $12.99, you can pay me to talk about it again next week. That's great. And you seem to have gotten a coaster for your water, but you're eating it, which is strange. um, (laughs) I think this is actually a a healthy snack you're eating. It looks Uh, looks like a coaster. It's an R bar. Uh, I think they're, they're actually local to Tucson. Uh, they're oh. no sugar added, gluten-free, vegan, non-dairy, non-GMO, uh, with only three ingredients. Uh, so very close to a coaster. That's, I was going to say that right. sounds about as appetizing three ingredients, as a coaster. Wood bark. And if they've made it more appetizing, they've really accomplished something. And it tastes great. And uh, I mean, I got double chocolate, so I'm sure it's supposed to be healthy, and I chose the least healthiest option. Good call. And I have a hot chocolate. That's, <laughs> and they're not paying me for that, so I don't want to talk about it. But yeah. it was delicious, so I, have, I should be honest about that. Yeah. What did you have this morning? I have their iced coffee, their cold brew. It's like drinking uh, chocolate. Hmm. It's not sweetened. It's just ah, and really exactly. smooth. Okay. It's, it's, that's, uh, that's an okay thing. It's so very, very good. Yeah. And their, their maple scone, which is pretty much all I eat here. So. Oh, yeah. Brian has a maple uh, idolatry problem. Maple yeah. donuts. I mean, this wasn't going to be my confession this morning. Like, last week, I, I talked about my car. And we will get back into that because I know so many people are curious about that. Our followers are dying. All 75 of our followers all are 70, interested in it. All yes. 75 of whom, 30-some, have listened. Thank yeah. you all. 34, <laughs> to be exact. That's great. I was not one of them. I'll be honest. I, I hear my voice, and I, just, I know. Thank you. I, so I mean to. I feel the same way about your voice. I'm glad. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, someone's honest. We should talk about that today about transparency in the church and leadership. It's a good but, idea. I know. Uh, but my confession with this morning was going to be. I had so many that I could possibly go through. Uh, one of them was you had texted that you were going to be late. Mm-hmm. And I would almost texted, haha, hashtag classic Andy. Uh, also true. But I was also late this morning. Uh-huh. And I was like, three, I hadn't even gotten my car yet. And I was about to text that. It was like three minutes till 730. Yeah. We tried to be here at 730. And Eric was on time as always. Early. He had, again, already eaten the meal before. Yeah. But. Well, I'm the old person. I yeah. have to be early. And Eric has this thing where he doesn't like to eat with others. I mean, he, he has a church where they eat together, and that's the big thing. But then when you show up to eat with him, he's already eaten, which is kind of a violation of community. I'm just going to say, <laughs> since, since we're putting that out there. I, mean, I would like to say I started eating at 7.30, which is the time that we're all supposed to be here. So. That's true. Being late is also a violation. <laughs> so community's been violated this morning. Uh, several times. 
So, so your confession was uh, you were going to make a comment, then you realized you were late, and then... I, d- I knew that it was going to be hypocritical. Like, the hypocrisy <laughs> was realized before a comment was made. Yeah, but, that's good. Um, <laughs> that always that's helps. How, I'm glad that I know myself and my sin well enough to just, like, spot it. I had, like, a ton of... It, like, I had a list of confessions uh, <laughs> that I was going to go through. But we'll stick with that. That's, that's uh, a good one. I got a new car, oh. and it drives uh, very well. I'm very thankful. Uh, got a good deal on it. I got another Honda Accord. Hey. I really wanted Toyota Tacoma. I actually talked yeah. to you about yeah. this. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so that's my temporary updates. Physically, I'm fine. My new car is uh, bussy. And yeah, I want to talk to you, though. It's been two weeks. Mm-hmm. How have you both been? Yeah, uh, man, been uh, been great. So I got my wife and I got out of town. It's been two weeks. We were going to record last week, and... I thought you two did record last week because I didn't check our podcast page. Typically, because you're not Hashtag one of the 34 listeners. <laughs> yeah, but um, oh shoot! But uh, I uh, yeah, my wife and I went to Flagstaff, Arizona. Beautiful little little uh, semi mountainous town. A little cooler. We got away, and we had a we had a nice getaway, um, except for the big fight we had in the middle. That was that was a bummer. Um, but honestly, it was it was like it was good because. We went up there. We were we were excited, and then there was some just like little letdown things, and, and it kind of all like came out like some other frustrations. But then, I think we really like, had a beautiful time at the end of the week, like having kind of reconciled and worked through that. And in a way, I'm, I'm just really grateful for that break and that getaway where we were able to talk about that and just have hours of time because it was stuff that had been, you know, because of our busy lives that we, we just hadn't really worked out the way that we needed to. Um, and so overall, I, I would consider it a huge success and blessing. Just that, that trip is fun. And we ate out too much and we ate a lot and I feel like massive. I feel like a massive person. I'm not, I'm not massive, but I feel massive. Just ate so much food, walked around and that was about our whole week. Walk around, eat walk around to eat, fight, walk around to eat, <laughs> hug, kiss, walk around to eat. Yeah. And this was for your anniversary? For our, yeah, it was, a, yeah, just, yeah, celebrating our anniversary just a little bit after. And the other thing we did, which we always do, is we went to thrift stores a lot. That's that's like our thing. That's what we do. My daughter's in the background. She's laughed because she's like, yes, that's, that's <laughs> what my dad does <laughs> all the time. So that's what I've been up to. How about you guys? Awesome. Well... What do you mean you want to know over the last two weeks what I've been up to? Whatever you want. Whatever I want. Well, I'm getting ready to go on vacation. Mm. So I was mostly just sitting around envying you, looking at your Instagram pictures and thinking, what does he do? He's a pastor. He only works Sundays anyway. Does he really need a vacation? (laughs) Right. That's a good point. I mean, that's all. That's all he did. Sundays for two hours. And I just talk, like, not about things I've prepared for. I just talk off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, all my thoughts. And then I go home, and the rest of the week, I just kind of sit around and read my Bible. <laughs> it's pretty good. So, yeah, no, um, that's all chunking aside. We are going on vacation, and I'm ready to do that. Because mm. I, I, last night I had some major stress dreams. I'm having stress dreams. Yeah. I, I think I'm just kind of ready to be done, which after doing this for 17 years, it usually May hits, and I'm like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um and so usually I take a month off this year. We're only taking two and a half weeks off, but for this period of time anyway. But um, yeah, 
I just think being a pastor, you get really tired and there's a lot of people and things that are kind of pressing on you. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot to worry about, a lot to think about, and every relationship has a set of dynamics that you, yeah. you know, are kind of dealing with. And in our community in particular, that's built around community. Um, people are in each other's lives a lot. Yeah. And so there's, you know, it's a potential, sometimes it feels like a potential minefield all the time. But um, So what part of that, this is, uh, I'm just interested in this really quick, a little sidetrack, but um, what part of that weighs the heaviest on you personally? Like, I, I'm sure, you know, every pastor is engaged in the lives of people, but I hear different things from different ones. Like, this part of it, just in, with me and my personality, just weighs heavily on me. Like, what is that for you? Um, that's, that's a good question. And I'll just, you know, edit that pause out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the pause when my daughter was yeah. trying to not have to eat her croissant. Like, oh, please finish that. Um, yeah, we, we should say that we have a fourth guest today. We have Abby, who's part of our little loft conversation. So She's a pastor. You might as well come Abby. over here and say hello. Say hi, Abby. Come say hi. Hi. It's good to see you. Um, to answer your question, I think in some ways I end up in three parts. of Like, one, it's the nature of our community places me in a, lots of stories that are hard to listen mm-hmm. to and just to hear the pain and struggle or the present um, feeling of depression or defeat or, or just yeah. overwhelmed by their own context. The other thing is being a small church pastor, and maybe big church pastors struggle with this, but there's always built in to it, growth is the key to success. Right. And not growth necessarily in a discipleship model, but just growth. And there was 150 people at church today. There were 300 people at church, whatever. I mean, I've never had 300 people at church, but <laughs> I, I would feel very successful. That, right. You know, that sure. it would change my, you know, oh, maybe I'm speaking right or I'm doing, we're doing the right things. It becomes very much about us, but it's hard to get away from that, you know, Um so I mean, when I sit with pastors, so that weighs heavily on you. Yeah, no. yeah, because you you there's just this little anxiety in the back of your head all the time, thinking, yeah. man, you know, and then and then you just kind of your heart sinks when people are like, oh gosh, you know, church is so small, or oh wow, you know, they get excited. There was a lot of people here. And you're like, why does that matter? You know, yeah. I mean, it ma- like we're rating how well we're doing and that. So that sometimes weighs heavy on me. It used to be financially. You know, being a father and husband and then trying to be a pastor and not be paid a lot. Having to think, do I want to be a bivocational pastor like you or do I want to try to live an austerity lifestyle, you know, which is hard when you have children. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, those are all things that I think I struggle with. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, I I relate to some of that. I wasn't even even thinking about some of that, but I just had, had an incredible little opportunity. I was at a, event on our way back from Flagstaff we stopped in Phoenix because some like big Christian guys were there so like Mark Dever from Capitol oh, Hill yeah. and Russell Moore the head of the Southern Baptist uh, Ethics and Civil Liberties Commission and um, Al Mohler um, Southwestern Theological Seminary so they were all kind of in town and having this conversation I got to be at like kind of a small conversation 
but just having this realization that like most of the people that were there had these these churches that everyone views as doing well, right? And there's just and you're in these conversations with these these types, and I'm I'm this very small church pastor, and yeah, it is interesting how you struggle with it, you know, feeling even though I believe in what our church does so so deeply, um, just yeah, all of a sudden you're self conscious, yeah, that's I wasn't even I wouldn't have even thought about that in your case, but I guess I just see you as loving what your type of church so much, but. But we all have these relationships, right, with people that have different types of churches. And, and the going feeling is bigger is better. Yeah, and, and as a speaker, and I like to speak, and part of my job is, involves speaking. And I think over the years I've gotten a lot better at it. But I'll tell you, it's a lot more fun oh, yeah. to sit in front of 100, 150 people and talk because mm-hmm. at least a third of them get your sense of humor and that means that that's more than two. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. But when there's like 30, that means that one person is awkwardly laughing at every one of your jokes. <laughs> it's a whole different dynamic or if two people are distracted, it's a much yeah. bigger impact oh, when yeah. you have I, a smaller community. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, like, I feel like it's way, for me, it's, you know, some people have that, like, fear of public speaking over death. I guess I don't have that fear. Yeah. And um, it's probably part of why I do what I do. But but it's, like, way easier. I've spoken in front of bigger groups, you know, 700, 800. I've never done, like, thousands. But um, but that was very comfortable because you just look out in the sea of faces and a bunch of them are looking at you and you can make eye contact pretty much anywhere you want in the room. You can find somebody to talk to. But, um, you know, a couple of years ago, our church was you know, 30 folks and, and every once in a while there'd be, I mean, I think there was one Sunday with like five, you know, and we were just getting started. Those were the hardest times to preach or speak or, you know, cause you're just hyper aware and even 30 or 40 people or something like that. You know, one of them is looking at their phone and as I'm preaching, I'm like, is he watching the Cardinals game? Is he, or is he taking notes? I don't know. You know, and somebody gets up and goes out the back door and you go, Oh, they're done. <laughs> They've had it done. <laughs> just, I'm just thinking about like hyper aware of each person, and so it made it so much harder. And my wife would say, "You just don't, you know, you don't seem comfortable." But then you you speak over here. I saw you speak over there, and you look so comfortable in front of a bigger group. And it's true. I I'm personally far more comfortable when I'm not hyper aware of individuals. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And, and I also think, like, we excel as leaders in different ways in the sense that, like, I lead small groups because it's part of my job. Right. I hate leading small groups. I love being part of them. I just don't want to be in charge. Yeah. I don't want to lead the discussion. I don't. I want to just prepare and be part. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it's a large group, I tend to not want anybody else to be in charge but me. Interesting. Um, because it feels like my element. That's what I feel comfortable with. Yeah. Um, so... I think we all have those. That seems a little off track from being vulnerable. Well, <laughs> well, the other pe- the re- part of why another thing I, I struggle with, I guess, with all that is that you know, I've got like these deep seated issues. Like I, I mean, I'm I'm a kid whose parents. I was an only child, and so you know, my mother um, would confide in me a lot because my dad is like he's a quiet guy and he just doesn't. Isn't he's not a talker, and so I would always have to talk to my mother, and so in a sense, I'm really good at talking. Like I've, since I was a kid, I've been holding adult conversation, right? 
But then at the same time, like my job as a pastor is to meet with people and that for them to talk to me and for me to talk to them and bear their burdens. And because of that journey of mine, like that's one of my biggest fears is that I'm going to have to like carry your load. Um, and that I'm going to, I'm going to be weighed down by it. Now, in a sense, that's exactly what a pastor is supposed to do, right? It's like help bear other people's burdens and shepherd, but not alone. You're doing it with Christ and it's, and it's a joy and it's hard, but it, it's walking with Jesus. But I lose sight of that a lot. And I get to this place where I just feel like I'm carrying the weight of the world because all these people within the church who I'm talking to have issues. I feel like it's on me to solve them and figure them out. And, and I, and I get tense and stressed and that's, that's not, that's just a bad place I go. Um, which is, it's like, you know, I've thought before, I'm like, does this mean I shouldn't be a pastor? But then it's like, no, I don't think that's what it is, but I have to learn to walk with Jesus in this. And so something about pastoring just is it is extremely exhausting to me. And I'm sure every pastor's got some issue, right, that they bring to the table through which they're over-exhausted. And then just the regular pastoral duty, I mean, it is just hard. It's hard to be in the midst of people's darkness and story and, um, and then add in our issues, and it's compounded. So that emotional stress, and that's it's no joke, you know, and so... I'm not, I'm not complaining. It's just, it's took me by surprise. I, I can imagine how the people in our churches wouldn't get it. I would kind of think like, man, you got the dream job. Like I talked to kids, you know, young guys. I want to be a pastor, you know, and I'm like, maybe you do, maybe you don't, you know. Do you, by that, do you mean I want to get up in front of people and speak and, you know, wear cool jeans and like, sure. I've never seen you wear cool jeans. I don't wear cool jeans. Okay. Right. You've, you've, you've but from but some way. pastors do, and that's they're right. on TV, and people think that's what's going to happen. <laughs> right, right. But um, but it's like, man, you know, okay, like, do you want to endure a lot of emotional strain? Do you want to be, do you want to have, like, burdens on your soul day in and day out and see these people that you love, but you know that just the dark stuff they're dealing with every time, and it's heavier? Um, you don't just get to... You're not just buddy buddy with people. Like right. Everybody, there's more. Um, that that's a high calling. I hope you take it. Right. That'd be that'd be good. But it's not just a cool job. Like you're going to be wiped out. I mean, for Jesus, and you're going to have to lean on Jesus, and it's going to be hard to lean on Jesus because yeah. you like read the Bible for your job, and it's confusing. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so back yeah. to our topic. Well, um, Brian, what are we talking about? What is, what is this podcast? I forgot. Faith over breakfast. Faith over breakfast. Ah, that's that's that was the concept. Me. Yeah. Well, we have breakfast together. Yeah. Which we're, or we're doing. At 7.30. Yeah. And then we discuss faith. That's right. And today we're talking about transparency and leadership, uh, difficulties in being a pastor. Uh, not in terms of like just complaining like, well, it's me. Yeah. Uh, and I have not felt that at all from these conversations, but just discussing this is not an easy job. It's very fulfilling, but to be considerate of why we're doing this, where we put our hope in, like where do we get the strength to push forward? And yeah, just being considerate of that, how important it is. Because you're not only are you, I mean, you're shepherding. You're, I mean, you're speaking on a stage every week. And then 
you're also being a shepherd to people, which a lot of people who want to go in ministry, they probably like the idea of like having their voice heard yeah. and stuff like that. Right. And maybe it's for the best of intentions, but just might not realize the implications of being a pastor and how important it is to be a shepherd in your congregation. On top of that, I've met a lot of pastors that were great pastors. Yeah. But they kind of, for uh, their families were kind of forsaken too. Right. And there's a responsibility yeah. to their own families. Like, oh, because you did such a great job as a pastor, it's okay that you didn't, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, where your responsibility was as a husband or uh, as a father uh, kind of fell short. Yeah. Uh, and it, not, not to say, like, I, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a father. And I'm not a husband. So I'm not going to act like, well, if you did it the way that I would have done it had I been in those positions. Uh, but just something to uh, be aware of if someone is considering going into ministry or fe- feeling as if they're called. Uh, oh, yeah. I agree that what an incredible uh, opportunity and a blessing to be called to ministry and to do this. Not just that... But, you might be called to ministry and not be a, a technical wall called to ministry, but not to be a pastor. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I was, um, so in this, you know, what the options are, right. Is you can, you can get into, um, get into being a pastor and, and you can buy into this idea that I need to be, I need to be an example, right. Which you, you do. That's true. But you could, you could buy into that and, and have this idea. Like, so what I have to do is I have to live an exemplary life. And I have to model that to everybody so that they can, you know, know that I'm really trusting Jesus and then be inspired to trust Jesus themselves. And, and which all that, as I'm saying it, I'm like, yeah, there's truth to all that. Right. But then in the, in doing that, you can, you can take on this mentality of when I struggle, they can't know, I can't tell them because if they do that, then that's going to, what's that going to do to the faith? What's that going to do to our church, you know, and, uh, they're going to go to the, there's a guy that's not struggling, you know, a block away. So they'll go to his church or whatever the, the, the feeling is. And, um, something that Eric and I have talked about before is like, we've, we've kind of decided we're not doing that. Like no more, like not in our, not in our church. Like we're gonna, we're gonna be honest with you. Like we, when we say follow me as I follow Jesus or whatever, like we're, we're not saying follow me as I follow Jesus. Well, we're saying, follow me as I struggle to follow Jesus. Um, like, as I, as, like, follow me because I had to repent today, right? Or something like that. And so, um, you know, one way, Eric, you, you've, in your church, there's, there's this practice that I thought was really, really unique. You know, you had, the, you had this chair, and it, it was once called the sinner's chair. Now it's called the healing chair. And will you tell us about that and then how you had to sit in it, mm. right? And, like, mm-hmm. so tell us about that. Well, I, so when we first planted our church 17 years ago, um, and I still, I don't remember the musician um, who had this album and it was called The Sinner's Chair. And on the back, it had this little blurb that said that Martin Luther had this chair called The Sinner's Chair in his house. And that when people wanted to confess something, they would come sit in that chair, yeah. confess, and people would pray over them and sing over them. Yeah, I thought this was an awesome idea. I didn't bother to do any other research. Um, so Rod, my co-pastor, also thought it was a good idea. He went and bought this chair, 
painted it black uh-huh. and put the seven deadly sins on it, and we stuck it in our church. Gnarly. Um, and people came and sat in that. One of the, in the first year, I decided to if we're going to get people to sit in it, I needed to sit in it. So yeah. one of my sermons on Jonah, actually the the opening sermon for Jonah where he's running away. Yeah. I dragged that chair up in front and sat down in it. Yeah. And I didn't know when I was preparing for that sermon that my father-in-law was going to come for the very first time. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and oh, so, you know, and I was really just confessing my own fears about being a pastor, about wanting to follow through on this calling. And, you know, and this was like just the first year of our church. There's my father-in-law. So, that was how that chair kind of took off. And it yeah. people came to Christ in it. There's yeah. a lot. I mean, a lot of times during the back end of our worship service, which is a lot of music and communion yeah. and those things, people are gathered around someone praying over them. Um, and it's a really cool thing. A few years ago, we decided that, like, our church is the black and the, the focus on... <laughs> Sin. I mean, not that we don't focus on sin. Right. People would say the village focuses on sin way too much. But we, we agreed with them and thought that we should really talk a lot more about what happens in the process of confession yeah. and repentance. And yeah. that healing is a big part of that. Yeah. So we painted the chair white, which yeah. took about 80 coats because it was black. <laughs> <laughs> and we put like little red crosses on it. So it looks like the red cross chair. Now. <laughs> and we call it the healing chair. And we talk a lot now about you know, that the opportunity to step into healing through confession and repentance is yeah. for our body and our soul and our mind and our hearts. We put those on the, the chair. And now people sit in it and confess, but also are speaking out the healing that they want. And yeah. so it's a big part of, like, creating a culture of vulnerability and honesty That's right huge. there in in the service itself. Yeah. And then, By the way, I did do the research on the, that and never, I mean, there are some ideas about how Luther obviously took the confessional <laughs> outside of the curtain and yeah. made confession more public, but I'm not sure he had a chair at his house. Yeah. Well, let's hope he did. Or maybe that was your idea. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it all started at the village and then that's fine. Um, yeah, for us, we, we've got, um, we just have a time, we have a silent time of confession. Um, so we, we don't have a chair. I like, I like that. I'd like to see, I'm sure like as time goes on, you know, we've talked about like, we want to have the same, kind of liturgical rhythms, but we probably won't always do them exactly the same. We want that to, because I think people get into a place where they, you know, start to just take stuff for granted and, and, you know, forget the impact when you've just done it over and over. But then there's something good about repetition. So you don't want to lose that. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what we do down the road, but right now it's, it's silence. And I tend to say, or Nick, my co-pastor tends to say something about, you know, how like this, this confession is either Nick tends to put confession right when we're leading into the Lord's Supper. I tend to put it earlier in the service. Um, but I, I tend to say something to the effect of like, this is the safest place you can be is confessing your sin before God, because he's like some of his greatest traits are his mercy and his grace. Um, and so you can go confess your sin, you know, to your friend and, uh, and hopefully that's safe and you can, you know, go tell it to a shrink or whatever. But at the end of the day, like God is the safest place if you if you're willing to bear your soul and tell him the truth you know, he is he is merciful he is gracious um he's also holy and righteous so it's you know that that simultaneous fear and safety that you get with god that you don't get anywhere else and that's beautiful but we take that time of silence and another thing that we've we've tried to embrace is just being really honest from the front kind of like 
like with you, um, you know, bringing up that chair. You know, and there there have been some big things like not too long ago, Mike, our worship leader, showed up to church and he just told me, he just said, "I'm I'm really burdened. Um, I'm drained. I don't want to be here today." Um, my wife feels the same, and they're like, you know, leading worship together as a couple. And he said, "You know, I I had a thought of like." could I lead into our time of confession by confessing this and confessing that, you know, I know that God, you know, loves us and has us in this community, but, but I don't feel, I don't feel it. And I, um, and I'm, you know, burned out and I'm frustrated. And it was, it was interesting because nobody else had ever asked me before, but I, I just looked at him. I said, you know what? Like, I'm sure like the experience of so many people at our church is they feel that way and they just don't come. And so you're doing this incredible thing where you feel that way, but here you are and you're leading. And, or they feel that way and they do come and they're, but they just can't, they don't say it, you know? So like as a leader, like lead them in your processing this and how you're still going to worship Jesus like right now with them, you know? And he, he did that and he kind of, kind of stumbled through his thoughts on how he was feeling, how he and his wife were doing, what they were, they were struggling with. And people had mixed, mixed feelings about that you know i think for a lot of people they were like this is a weird way to start worship like you know because aren't we supposed to go into this passionate moment of praise and hear the worship leader saying it he actually doesn't want to be here (laughs) but then the majority of people really were just like wow like now he's more just so human like he, he was and he was still choosing to to come to jesus and he invited us with him and it seemed to me like that was a really rich uh week of worship and then and then one of my, you know, I've, I've confessed various things. One, t- <laughs> one time I was getting ready for um, a trip where I was leaving right after church and I couldn't get the hitch installed on my truck. And it, it was July in Tucson and I just got so angry, you know, right before church. I literally showed up in the clothes I was trying to get the hitch on the truck in, you know, I'd been sweating and I had like kicked my truck, you know, it had gotten to this point where I had decided I was going to kick an inanimate object to, to beat it into submission to let me put the hitch on, you know? And, and I was like, how do I just get up here and like, just, Hey, here's the word of the Lord, you know? And I kind of had to like put that out there. Like guys, you know, I don't know about you, but today hasn't gone, (laughs) gone so well. (laughs) And, uh, I got mad, you know, and, and I need to bring this to Jesus and I need to be, I need to be like, I need to come to him and ask for his forgiveness and his help. Will you join me? And, And then, um, I mean, you, so you, what did you share in the, in the sinner's chair at that time? Like you had told me this before. Like, uh, right? I don't remember it to be honest. Or there was you. one, there was lying. Oh or yeah. Like that. So, um, that, that was probably one of the bigger turning points in my ministry is early on trying to think through how to work out like relational dynamics. Um, yeah. I was, there was these two people who were really at each other's throats. And so in order for me to try to explain like what's going on and to help the other person understand, I divulged some information I should not divulge. Yeah. Um, and so, but it, it worked. I thought, oh, this is good. Once I divulged the information, <laughs> they were like, oh yeah, that makes so much more sense. So when I was speaking to the other person and they kind of clued in that I had shared something I shouldn't have. And they're like, did you share that? And I outright said, no, I didn't tell them. And I just lied. Um, And so like for a week, like I just was racked with like guilt and 
I was ready to quit ministry. And I was like, I can't be honest. And um, so then I went and apologized. I, I told the guy um, that, hey, look, this is what I did. And he forgave me, but eventually left our church because of that. Yeah. But then that next week, I stood in front of the whole church and said, look, like, I'm your pastor, and this is what I did. I yeah. lied, and I'm, I'm sorry. I've, I've apologized. Um, I've told the leaders and the elders. Uh, I, you know, I've prayed through it, but you need to know that this happened. Yeah. Um, and that was terrifying. Oh, like, yeah. I think I probably lost at least two years of my life. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Hopefully on the back end. Uh, yeah. This is Which the is the only way like, you can lose it. But. You're like, they're, they're not going to... They won't follow me anymore. I'm done. Yeah. Right? yeah. Oh, I was sure of it. And, you know, I mean, I was 32 years old. and, and You were really young. Yeah, I was young. I mean, almost my, my age. Almost your age. <laughs> but when you're, I mean, what I have learned, too, as a pastor, it's that nobody, and I hate to say this, but nobody was really going to listen to you until you're 40. Right. Like, yeah. you're fighting to be heard. I'm waiting for that day. Just you know, <laughs> I mean, older no, yeah. people in my That's congregation... True. You know, I was lucky to have Rod, who was 10 years older than me, but the older people in our congregation were like, is this guy really yeah. legit? Because yeah. he has no life experience, and he's standing up there telling us, this is what, you know, you yeah. need to be doing, this is what God says, and this yeah. is, you know, but he's never actually had to try that out. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, then you lie, and you're like, well, everybody, everybody's right. I, I don't know what I'm doing, and yeah. they shouldn't yeah. listen to me. And, and so the enemy really can take those things too. And, and, oh yeah. But yeah, that was a, that, that definitely set the tone in our community though, for, for honesty. Yeah. Like that if the pastor can talk about that, it has to go through a process and so can I. Yeah. And I think that was pretty powerful. And, and I, I have continued that. Um, I mean, even when we do our belonging services, we do membership every year Yeah. and I preach about the village. I, I open often saying all of you will be disappointed. Yeah. This community is disappointed. Yeah. Often, because we get a lot of other pastors saying, hey, how do you guys do community? I'll say right. that to everybody <laughs> and then say, it's really not that great. Yeah. And we're actually bad at it and we'll hurt each other's feelings yeah. and be disappointed and fail. Oh, yeah. Because that's the reality. Is, other than, wow, what a beautiful community. Look at how great it is you're joining this thing. Yeah. Right. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's it, joining your own risk. Yeah. And uh, God will shape you like sandpaper on flesh. Yeah. Welcome to the village. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's good. So. Well, then, I mean, hey, it sets people up for reality. And then, and then they can, when things are beautiful, they rejoice, right? Right. <laughs> They're like, oh, my gosh, he was lying again. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Tim Keller has a little anecdote about a, a pastor. I, I forget. Um, you know, what, it was another country, I believe, but there was some young superstar pastor and some old pastors were talking about him and, you know, his future. And one of the old pastors just kind of sat back and said, you know, he hasn't suffered much or something, something to that effect. And, you know, it's like there are like, and, and I think he was drawing crowds, but these older pastors were saying, let's wait and see, reserve judgment, like, cause he, right. His life experience, um, he, Jesus has, has a long road for him. Let's see how that goes. Let's see how things turn out. Um, what Jesus does with his life, you know? And I think that's, you're right. I like that. Um, I don't know if, you know, age 40 is probably somewhere in there where people start to think you've, <laughs> you've lived a little, but there is something to like, it's exciting to hear a young guy, 
spout, right, with all his passion. Yes. But, um, but you know, it's another thing to hear somebody who's walked through just drudging horror <laughs> or, some, you know, and or, or pain or um, who's says, you know, I, I have idols, I, I struggle, um, and I'm aware of it, and it haunts me. And Because people, they go, that's, now that is true. That's somebody who walks with Jesus. That's yeah. it, you know. Yeah, one of the terrifying things for me, you know, a piece of my story is that I'm divorced. And um, that, you know, years ago when that happened, I was in a ministry context and went through just a ton of care. My church was, it was incredible in that moment. Um, but, you know, even during that time, I thought, I'm done. Uh, there's no way, you know, I, I'd felt this sense of a calling from God. And I thought, well, that's gone. Because I, you know, tried marriage and I didn't do it well. Um, there was, you know, I should have made different decisions. I should have thought differently about this. I should have approached this different. I should have saved it. I should have been enough to fix it or whatever, you know. And so, you know, moving forward, I was just like, you know, always like every time a rod, your co-pastor, the first time we met for breakfast, you know, he's just like, Hey, uh, you know, how long have you been married? And I, you know, I'm remarried for a couple years at that point. He goes, and your daughter's how old? Right. And, you know, and I'm like, Oh crap, here we go. You know, now I get to talk about divorce and like with the church leader <laughs> who's then going to go, Oh, you know, maybe you shouldn't do this. Right. And it's um, just that haunting feeling. And so we were going through, we, we preach expositionally at our church. And so we're going through Matthew and I'm in Sermon on the Mount. And here comes divorce, right? And I, that's like everything in me wanted to like bring in a guest pastor or something, right? Or just talk surface level about it. And then Rod, of course, he goes, you better not do that. You know, you need to, you should open this sermon with the truth. And, and I knew that was true, you know, like, because a like a lot of the people in there know I'm divorced in there, so you know they know that. B like for the people who don't like when they know like I'm speaking about this not as somebody who's just looking at the text going, what does this mean? You know what is uh and and you know don't get divorced guys. You know look it says says God hates it. You know but as somebody who's like I this is my story. Um, here I am wrestling with the words of Jesus about divorce, having walked through it. Like, you know, you don't hear that. Like, that's not a lot of pastors. Some, some do, and you know, and but I feel like a lot gloss over it. But how many just go, I wrestle with this because this is my story. And so that was a hard one. That was a really hard one for me. But it, it was good. I mean, because, you know, I was able to just open up and say, look, you know, I'm divorced. I think that's how I started. I just said, I've been divorced. Um, and so reading these words of Jesus, you know, taking this seriously, but this impacts my heart and my life. And just being able to share from that was terrifying. But I, I mean, I think it was really, really healthy for the church. And in the lifespan of my church, I've talked about it twice now, uh, both times. Very, very difficult to do, but really important. Um, just, just for our, I think for our community and, and even for my walk with Jesus to, to face that uh, with them. So I don't know. I just think, I think it's key. I think it's good. It's scary. Some of our core member, even my, um, my wife and I now, like our deepest, darkest marriage pain is well known to 
to a core group of our people in our church. Like they, I mean, I, I look at them and I just think, you have 99 reasons to walk out of this church because I'm not good enough. And you could, and you know all of it, and you're still here. And that makes me feel like extremely loved by God and by them. And I'm just so glad as a pastor I get to have that. And it's not, I'm not hiding. Um, and, you know, and I can't imagine being in a community where I, like, being in a community where I, as the pastor, couldn't speak openly and honestly with some folks. Not that I just want to blurt that to everybody. And, right. Because you know. total honesty isn't the solution no. to everything. No. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and there's a, and the point isn't, this isn't a, the church isn't a support group for me where I just right. need to get all my stuff out. Right. But the fact that I can have, right. that the community that I'm asking other people to experience, like, my family is available to have other people minister right. to us, right? right. I think the same is true with you guys. Yeah. Well, and I think pastors, leaders are culture creators. So yeah. we're, we're setting the tone for the culture. Yeah. And if it's a culture of honesty, and I mean, you know, when God, I think it's, God tells Ezekiel that he's going to take his wife. Yeah. And he tells him to groan inwardly. Yeah. It's, it's not that he isn't saying don't, like just shove it down. He's right. acknowledging that there's pain. And I think that's the big part of of our our communities in particular is that life is just hard and we don't want to wash that over. It doesn't mean we don't rejoice, we don't party, right. we don't have fun. Uh, we don't try to reflect the great rejoicing oh, of the kingdom and absolutely. the hope of the coming of Jesus. That's a big part of it. Yeah. If you if you have pain and no hope, right. then why come to church? Yeah, like, absolutely. That's kind of stupid. <laughs> but the hope doesn't seem that great when you don't acknowledge the deep pain and the exactly. realities, right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I feel like when there's a freedom to fail, not that we take every chance we get, <laughs> right? But when there's a freedom to fail, there's a hope to fight. Yeah, and you're doing it with your community, especially when you, your leader took that extra step to say it's okay to look where I've uh, missed the mark, and I'm yeah. going to continue doing that, and you will too. And now we can do it together and just walk in complete transparency. Yeah, and none of us are going to be alone as a result of that. And we know that God's going to love us regardless. Yeah, yeah. God's God's love is incredible. He He entered in before we even cared into our lives and, and began a work in us. You know, and so like, yeah. Do you think that the day you fail, He's He's done? No, doesn't seem like it. You know, that's not. I love I love that the heroes of Scripture all like have preserved in Scripture a major failure. You notice that, you know, Moses, Abraham, David, like, you know, if, if God, if God is, you know, overseeing like the preservation of his story and he included major failures of every one of his, the great saints, I mean, doesn't that tell us something, you know, not, not that it's like, I mean, and it's about his grace because it's like, it's not these people's greatness that carried this story on. It's the grace of God, because they would have blown it. And so that's why we're, we're trophies of his grace, not trophies of our own capabilities, right? Um, well, I think we've podcasted for a while here. I have no idea how long. It's good to... Breakfast is gone, except for Brian's. Brian, you, well, ate, you ate a third of your coaster. I ate a third of my coaster. <laughs> maybe even... Yeah, it's about a third. Maybe even less than that. But it's on... I don't... It didn't have like a... Uh, fancy plate so I didn't want to crinkle into the microphone so oh I didn't want to wow, you just have to oh, yeah. 
Well, cool. I, I ate my muffin with a little miniature spoon, and so it took me a little longer, but it was delicious. Thanks to XO Coffee for letting us use their cool loft um, up above their little restaurant here. And It was it, super quiet today. It was really quiet. It's yeah. the summer in Tucson. We're a college town. People are gone. It's hot. <laughs> I think, yeah, it's it's like I see, I see two guys both Working on their computers hard. Yeah, down there. but wow. Their kitchen is closed down there. Yeah, that's probably why. So you don't have yeah. the kitchen. So before we end, though, Brian, um, I did have a, one curiosity. So last podcast, you fell asleep, yes, and your car, yeah, yes, had minor damage according to you. But it seems like you've gotten a new car. So, uh, yes, it was. So totaled. what was the exact story? <laughs> once you were able to backtrack, you the fell truth, asleep, <laughs> and what did you hit that you told your car? Well, I hit a curb, but I, I might have hit something else i just i'm not sure because i you were asleep you know, <laughs> fell falling asleep blacked out whatever it was uh i'm I, concerned about this falling was this because of work or like i had spent the i think i actually mentioned it uh i had fallen asleep oh i had stayed up all day right because i was about to go to bed in preparation for work my friend had a seizure that's right so you were in the hospital seizures. so yeah, yeah i went into the hospital, hospital all day and i right. took a nap there but um, I was there until I had to work. Okay, I was just concerned that it was blacking out thing was a habit, but well, that's never happened before. Well, he had a major he, a semi bus. Oh, the semi bus thing. Yes, I didn't fall asleep as, yeah. uh, because of that. Just but, creamed yeah. on the freeway by a large it, bus. Exactly. You went to work the next day. Yeah, yeah, that day. Right. Yeah. They made public service announcements due to you at work. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Okay. So, um, but yeah. your car got totaled because yes. it hit something and a curb. Uh, yes. Uh, Completely, like, unrepairably totaled. Uh, yes. Hypothetically. Maybe well, <laughs> it's it, repairable. They, total loss, right? They just was, said they that said total loss. The the cost to repair it is more than the value of the car. That's what I feel like it yeah. was. So they sure. paid you Probably for it. Probably tore up yes. the bottom of your car, right? Yeah. Or something like that. Okay. Exactly. I, and I got more than what I paid for it, too. Oh, sweet. Which is nice. But, um, yeah. Like this is the first time I'm doing it. Yeah. But they, yeah. It's good. <laughs> So right. I was about to go into like, oh, this is my first time doing like always. Yeah, I was going to go into unnecessary details. I don't even remember. But uh, maybe we can talk about it another time. Well, you're, I do, you're okay and you got a new car. Okay. Yeah. I, I know you said that earlier. I just was like, okay, well, what exactly happened to the car? But it just scraped the bottom probably. Or... Uh, yeah. Well, uh, apparently there was a bad oil gasket. The probably the axle's bad too. Yeah. I mean, like it wasn't like I like oh I touched the curb. It was like bad, but. Uh, did you turn in the car? Did you give it to him? Yes, I still need to go find the title somewhere for my uh, car is. But I was going to say, I'll take it if, you know, pass, pass it on. <laughs> you want my old car? Yeah. Right, well, <laughs> my dad wanted to do that with mine. Turns right. out our insurance company was like, yeah, and he can buy it from us. Yeah. And it wasn't going to be like what you thought, like the 500 bucks or 200 bucks. They wanted the price they paid for what? it to me. Or, yeah. Oh, uh, no thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, ah, I don't think so. Yeah, you don't want to. No, do I don't want to do that. No, it was funny because uh, I was helping my friend look for a for a Honda online, and there was a cord that that sold. So I'm kind of thinking you stole it out from under us, probably. So on that on that note, I, I think we should <laughs> end our podcast. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for taking my friend's car. Right? <laughs> right. I'll still sell it to them. I'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> for more than he paid for, of course. Exactly. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. No, uh, thank you so much for joining us, uh, both of you, as oh, being man. just me. Pleasure. Uh, uh, not that this is my podcast, but uh, this is-
This is Faith Over Breakfast with Andy Littleton and Eric Seaman. <laughs>